Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to 30 Days of Terror Day 28. How you do? We're going to go straight into it. I've got four stories for you today. Four? All yes, about picnics and fun days out and Listen, do you clarity. just want to, do you want to go for a picnic? Is that why you keep talking about picnics? Maybe I do. Do Is that is that it? Do you want to go for a picnic, have some baby bells? I just feel like I've not heard enough picnic drama stories. I think if people start sending in picnic, picnic dramas, then that won't be my go-to nice positive thing. A I picnic. just feel like most people go to picnics and they might get rained on, but then comedy ensues or they might just have a nice time. So I feel like it's a, a go-to nice story. If someone sends me a picnic drama story where everything went disastrously wrong, I'll stop talking about picnics. I actually don't know what to say. Story number one comes from Paul. My mother is Irish and we've grown up with a sometimes contradictory mix of Catholicism and Irish folklore. The Pope and ghosts go hand in hand in our family. In 1985, my dad was a prison officer, and when he got a promotion, we had to move from the northeast of England down to Suffolk. His new post was at HMP High Point, near Haver Hill. It used to be known as RAF, Stratus Hall, during World War II. In 1985, I was 12, and HMP High Point was a low-security prison that housed the famous jockey and convicted tax fraudster Lester Piggott. The staff accommodation was in the grounds of the prison. I was told that this housing was originally used for the bomber crews that flew out of the RAF Stratus Hall during World War II and their families. When we went to Stratus Hall for a recce visit before moving down permanently, my parents were given a choice of houses on the estate that we'd be moving into. My mum saw a nice end terraced house with a big garden and plumped for that one. As we were looking around what would soon become our new house, a neighbour came out and started chatting to my parents. She told my mum to think again about that particular house because she said one of the old bomber crews that lived in that terrace during the war hadn't returned from a bombing raid over Germany and it was bad luck. She also told my mum that the family that had lived in the house previously were into the occult and held regular seances in the dining room. Apparently the lady of the house was so invested in contacting the dead that she kept a pile of manure in the room to ward off evil spirits. Apparently the family never opened any windows in the house either for similar reasons. Despite these two excellent reasons for us to pick another house, my mum seemed unperturbed and a few weeks later we moved in. 
standard stuff, as my mum is partial to a good haunting. One of my mum's first missions on arrival was to locate the nearest Catholic church and introduce herself to the priest. I was dragged along, being the qualified altar boy that I was. Naturally, the priest was Irish, and him and my mum got on like a house on fire from the get-go. I was recruited as an altar boy in our new parish too. Not long after we'd settled in, my brother and I were at school one day. My dad was at work in the prison and my mum was home alone, seven months pregnant with my little sister. After a morning of cleaning, my mum sat down in the living room to watch a bit of telly. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw movement in the dining room through the open door that divided both rooms. She thought nothing of it and continued watching her show. A few minutes later, she saw movement again. This time, she was more certain that it was something real and she called out my dad's name. When he didn't reply, she started to panic. She rang the prison and asked to speak to my dad. When he came onto the phone, she asked if there were any prisoners out gardening in the grounds of the prison, which was weirdly normal and they were supervised as they were groundskeeping. My dad said there were no prisoners in the grounds at the time and my mum told him that there was somebody in the house. My dad immediately made his way home. My mum went to get out of the house but as she did, she says she saw a man in full World War II flight dress standing in the dining room facing away from her. She says that as she was watching him he started walking into the hallway and then upstairs into one of the bedrooms. My mum bolted out of the house to be met by my dad. My dad went into the house and checked it over and found no one there. My mum was beside herself. Naturally, she called the priest and told him her story. He came straight over to the house complete with portable altar vestments and miscellaneous religious equipment. For me, it was home time. The school bell rang and my brother and I got the bus home. When I got through the front door, I was met by my mum, my dad and the priest. Standard Tuesday. The priest asked me if I'd help him in the living room. And when I walked in there, I saw a fully kitted out mobile altar. The priest proceeded to say prayers at what felt like a mini exorcism mass before bobbing around all the rooms of the house, splashing holy water around like it was a bottle of brute aftershave with me in tow, waving the ceremonial incense around like the professional I was. After a cup of tea and a few biscuits, the priest was on his way. From that day on, the house was calm, and my mum never saw anything out of the ordinary again, at least not in that house. That genuinely happened, and my mum swears blind to this day that it happened as she described. I don't believe in God anymore, but after a childhood with my mum and her ghostly encounters one involving a hot press. I do believe in ghosts. So a hot press is what you would call an airing cupboard, Mm. I guess, or a linen cupboard, depending on what country you're in. In Ireland, a hot press is an airing cupboard, essentially. Okay. Nice. Uh, uh, Thanks. Just to let everybody know, (laughs) I love the sound of his Irish Catholic mammy, by the way. Yeah. Love her. She sounds like an absolute treat. That seeing the bomber crew would freak me out, but I don't know whether it would make me go super scared because you know 
get a bomb crew living in the house. Yeah, I think I'd be... Unless they started messing with me and then I'd be like, no. I think I'd get an awful fright mm, yeah, at the absolutely. time. But then I'd be like, oh, bless him. But I can also see the Irish Catholic mammy instantaneously going to the priest. Yeah, I guess And the priest like... instantaneously rocking up like some sort of fucking superhero. I kind of imagine the pop-up altar. That's not what you called it, but that's what I'm calling it. Uh, I kind of imagine the pop-up altar coming out of one single briefcase. So you just opened it Mary Poppins style and all this stuff came out. Oh, vestments or yeah. thing in, what was that swinging incense thing have you ever smelled that swinging incense yeah but well, I don't know where I have not smelled Irish version I've smelled it in Italy plenty of times in France it's the same same yeah. stuff and I used to when because I, I was an altar server when I was a kid and when you served a funeral in particular you'd have that swinging incense and the reason why and as an altar server you stand there like swinging it from side to side to keep it lighting so that it would keep fanning the like little smouldering incense in it and the amount of times you'd, you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh, shit, that's gone out. But you're still there swinging it because you can't really duck backstage to light it again. Being an ultra server was weird. Yeah, no, I saw a fantastic uh, the incense ball swinger. That's right. In Yeah, go for it. In, um, I want to say Italy. Wandered into in the middle of a funeral service and the priest was giving it some big style. They also, interestingly, in a different church I went into, had it suspended from the ceiling like a pendulum. And oh. it was lit and it was swung from the ceiling. Like constantly? Yeah, well, no, during the during the, the service, they swung it from the ceiling. What I'd love is to see an incense burner swinging it around like poi. Do you know, yeah. like, like nunchucks swinging it around the place. I think, there's, I think I've seen a film where... An action nun or priest does that. Oh, I'd say in, it's in definitely been jest, done, yeah. yeah. So our second story today comes from Hannah. This is a story about what happened to my parents after they were first married. Neither of them believe in ghosts, but they both can't explain what happened to them. They were both recent graduates of the University of Georgia in Athens and I'd just gotten married and were living in an apartment in Atlanta. One night, or early morning, my mum woke up randomly at 3am. She usually slept through the night without a problem, but she felt uneasy like she was being watched. Their bed was against the back wall of the bedroom, and the door to the hallway was directly in front of the bed. She raised her head up and looked towards the open bedroom door, and she saw a clown standing in the hallway. Not like a person dressed as a clown, but almost like a life-sized cartoon blow-up clown that you'd see in a parade or a show. It was facing the bed and staring at them dead-eyed. It slowly turned and drifted down the hallway like it was floating until it was out of sight. My mom, convinced she was hallucinating or half awake and dreaming, turned to my dad to see if he was still asleep. He wasn't. He was wide awake, wide-eyed, and staring at the open doorway to the now-empty hall. She didn't know that he too had woken up randomly right around 3am. He turned to my mom and said, Did you just see a clown in the hallway? To this day, my parents don't believe in ghosts or anything supernatural, but they also have no explanation for what they saw. They never saw it again, but I'm just waiting for the day 
when I wake up and see a clown in my own hallway? I have the doll fear. I don't have the clown fear, but that would give me the clown fear. What on earth was that about? That is the weirdest, that is one of the weirdest stories we've ever had. That is full-blown hijibius. That is creepy. And like, I get the rationality of her mum being like, I have to be dreaming. This is, this is ridiculous. And then turning, oh, I can't even imagine that moment of turning and realising that your husband is also wide awake staring at this fucking floating clown. Why did it float away? Why is it, was it like a balloon looking thing? (laughs) Like what in the world? I'm sorry, I have absolutely no... I don't even have anything funny to say. That's awful. Hegebius. Hegebius, definitely. If anybody has any... Like... I, is it a shared hallucination? Like, I, I just don't know. It could be a shared hallucination, but it's very specific, isn't it? It's really specific. And then to both wake up and have a shared yeah. hallucination, surely that's unusual. Why a clown? Like, we've had loads of know. stories about waking up and seeing shadows and stuff like that, but a clown is just really specific and really odd. Really strange. And not a person dressed up as a clown, like a... Almost like an anime. I don't even know what to make of this. Fair play to the mum and dad for just deciding to ignore it. <laughs> And just get on with their lives. I don't know if I'd ever be able to get on <laughs> my life after that. I'd be like, ups in you know, like that um, meme of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It would just be me with loads of clown pictures in a room, strings, yeah, and notes everywhere pinned to walls. That'd be me trying to figure it out. I'd be going full blown pinata on every clown I saw from that point onwards. Yeah, definitely. You'd have to. You'd have no <laughs> choice, really. I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And our third story today comes from Mandy. We had a beautiful home in Bear, Delaware. It was a big two-storey house and is like the ideal family home. The house was built back in the 30s, so it was old. Our family was big. I have three older siblings, two brothers and one sister. It all started one night when we finished our dinner. Our kitchen was connected to the garage. My siblings and I decided to play a board game and my parents went upstairs to bed after cleaning. So as we were playing and laughing, we heard the garage door lock, all on its own. We all paused and stared at each other in fear and adrenaline. My older brother Brandon got up quietly from his chair and proceeded to his baseball bag that was on the kitchen floor. As we all sat frozen, my brother grabbed his bat and crept towards the door. 
He unlocked it quietly and slowly opened the door. He raised his bat as he was walking to enter the garage. It slammed loud, right in front of our faces. We all ran up to our parents' room and explained what had happened. My dad jumped out of bed and told us to lock the door behind him in case someone had broken into the garage. My dad explained that he went downstairs and as he entered the kitchen slowly he found our board game flipped off the kitchen table and the table about 10 feet next to the oven. My dad looked in the garage and scanned the whole house. He came back to the room and said, I didn't find anybody, are you sure that's what happened? We swore to him that something was down there. My mum looked at my dad with concern and they ended up calling the police. Of course they didn't find anything, no big surprise there. My sister and I shared a room and didn't sleep all night. Our house had days where it would be quiet and nothing would happen and then other days it would be steady with activity. The next encounter happened to me and my mother. It was a few weeks after our first incident. I was having terrible nightmares of a man in a red and black checkered flannel shirt sitting in the corner of me and my sister's room. I was only seven years old at the time. My dad worked the night shift by this point, so he wasn't home until six in the morning. So my mom was holding me and I was on the edge of the bed about to fall asleep. The TV was on with cartoons or something. My mom was fast asleep at this point, but I couldn't close my eyes. Just as I was about to doze off, I felt the side of the bed lower as if someone was sitting. Like someone my dad's size was sitting there. I tried waking up my mom by whispering her name, but she didn't respond. I felt my breathing intensify, and I nudged my mom at this point, saying, Mom, wake up. She heard me that time and responded with, What, Mandy? I'm trying to sleep. I pointed to the corner of the mattress and said, Something is sitting there. She squinted her eyes and whispered, Lay back down and it will go away. She held me tighter, and after a few painstaking minutes, we felt the bed release the compression. My mom rolled over to the phone and called my dad at work. I overheard her say, Jim, something was in the room with me and Mandy, but we couldn't see anything. What do I do? My mom rushed me out of the bedroom in the dark and grabbed my sister. We all went into my brother's room and locked the door. My dad arrived in a hurry and we could hear his car approaching from up the street. He ran inside quickly and up to my brother's room. My mom opened the door and hugged him and he said, Why is every light on in the house? My mom replied, Jim, the house was pitch black when we came into the room. I didn't turn on any lights. We all stared at each other and my dad asked my brothers in anger. Are you two doing this to your mother and your sisters? Do you think this is a game? My brothers responded and told him that it wasn't them, that they had been sleeping. My mum shook her head and replied, they were sleeping, I saw them in bed. We all felt more at ease now that my dad was at home so he picked me up and placed me in bed. I told him I was scared and that I didn't understand what was happening. He told me that it was probably nothing and to just go asleep. Our next incident happened to my dad. He explained everything to us the next morning when we woke up. 
He came home early one night from work because he was suffering from a bad migraine. He was sitting at the kitchen table eating a bowl of cereal with his back facing the garage door. As he was eating, he felt a very cold chill come across his back. He said it was no normal wind chill. It felt like a winter breeze for a minute and then it disappeared. It just wasn't possible because it was summertime and no windows were open and the aircon wasn't on. He then described that he felt a sharp burning sensation down his back. He brushed it off, blamed the migraine and went to bed. The next morning my dad walked downstairs and greeted my mom in the kitchen. She looked at him in panic and asked him what happened to his back. We all looked as we were watching cartoons in the living room. My dad shrugged it off and explained that he had a migraine last night, had felt a burning sensation and that it wasn't a big deal. My mom brought him to the bathroom and we all ran into the bathroom with concern. He turned around in the mirror and to our surprise we saw three claw marks on his back from his shoulder right down to his lower back. The scratches were so deep that my mom had to clean them. My mom was deeply concerned at this point and told my dad that they needed to get a priest in to bless the house that something wasn't right. My dad didn't respond and we all went about our day as if nothing had happened. My sisters and brothers and I decided to dig up some information on the house and the land that it was on. We didn't have a computer, so we all went to my sister's friend's house to do some research. This was just as the internet was getting popular, so we searched for hours with nothing coming up. My sister's mom came down to see what we were all up to. She stood next to us and said, Oh, you guys don't know. A mother drowned her baby and killed herself in that house. We all looked at each other and ran for the stairs over to our house to explain this to my mom. She was outside gardening when we approached her. Karen, my friend's sister's mom, walked across to greet her and said, I shouldn't have told them kids have big imaginations and she laughed. She explained to my mom what had happened in the house and my mom told her of all the weird things that were going on. There were so many things that happened in that house that I just picked the ones that I remembered. For my last experience, I was sleeping one night. My sister was at a sleepover, so I was alone with the door shut. I remember waking up to the smell of smoke. This was cigar smoke, and it's a really distinctive smell. I popped up thinking something was on fire. And I see a man in a black and red checkered flannel sitting in our old wooden chair that my grandpa made. I could only see his torso, his arms and his legs. I couldn't see any head or shoulders. I sat there in shock. I remember seeing the sleeves rolled up, a gold bracelet, hairy arms and olive-toned skin. I didn't scream or cry. I sat there in shock, unable to move my body. I didn't feel threatened at all either. The energy in the room was neutral. It got up and walked through the door and disappeared. The next morning I went to breakfast tired and sluggish. My mom asked me if I hadn't slept. I told her that I had smelled burning and then a man in a flannel shirt was there with a gold bracelet. She stopped what she was doing at the counter and looked at me with tears in her eyes. She asked what he looked like. I told her that I couldn't see his face or his chest, only legs and arms 
She started crying and she said, that was your great-grandfather checking in on you. I don't like the bit where they're all in a massive panic and it's the mum and Mandy asleep and then someone sits on their bed and then they go and lock themselves in the room. Oh, and then all the, the family in the room together all freaking out. Oh, fuck that. But thank goodness that her brother is a baseball player and he's got a Louisville slugger to hand. I'm presuming that's the brand of the baseball bat. And uh, was ready to swing whatever was in the... In the garage. In the garage. Much more sensible than grabbing a knife. Yes, definitely. You grab that baseball bat. Yep. If it's a demon, you kick the shit out of it. You do that. Swing that baseball bat. I'd say, and this is, I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for how far I'm reaching with this next statement because I know that you think I get a bit carried away at times, but no, I'm going to put it all on the line with this statement and say I'm pretty sure that house was haunted. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That got me. Well done. We've got one more story today. And our final story comes from Sean. I'm writing to share two experiences from my life that while potentially explainable as the result of everyday causes, seemed truly strange and paranormal at the time. To the point that they've caused me to believe that paranormal experiences have causes beyond human understanding. The first experience took place when I was a senior in high school. My family and I road-tripped from our home in northwestern New Jersey to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, famously the home of the Battle of Gettysburg of the American Civil War. 50,000 men died in the 1863 battle, making it the bloodiest battle of the war, and the town is said to be haunted by the ghosts of the Union and Confederate armies. We then travelled to Mill Run, Pennsylvania to visit famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright's famous 1935 house, Falling Water. But this story doesn't take place in Gettysburg, nor at Falling Water. Rather, on our return trip through Pennsylvania, we spent the night at the Jean Bonnet Tavern in the small town of Bedford, Pennsylvania, a tavern and inn that dates to sometime around 1762. Though not old by old world standards, the United States didn't become a country until 14 years after this tavern was thought to be constructed, making the Jean Bonnet about as old as buildings come in this country. We arrived at the Jean Bonnet after dark, and my dad, mom, sister and I, and my uncle, aunt and two small cousins, piled out of our cars and walked up the wooden steps to the ground floor of the stone tavern. The ground floor was still a working pub, where locals were relaxing and tipping back a pint or two. The innkeeper directed us to the old wooden staircase that lead to the second floor, the top floor, where the guest rooms were located. We were the only visitors staying the night. Though I'm sure they couldn't have been original, the stairs were extremely worn and dusty, and the beams that held up the wood-planked top floor were so old that they bowed in the middle meaning the dimly lit hallway that ran down the centre of the building was noticeably lower than where the floor met the old stone outer walls. On top of that, the glass in the windows, which surely couldn't have been original, was so old that it had run as very old glass does, so any view out of the tavern through these upstairs window was warped and distorted. I knew nothing of the jean bonnet before our arrival, being a disinterested 17-year-old on a forced family trip. 
All I knew was what I saw walking in. The place was old, dark and creepy. I swung open the door to what was to be my room and I hesitantly ventured in. It was dark, with more warped glass windows on two walls. Like the hallway, the wood-planked floor was old, worn and dusty. The only furniture was an antique bedside table, a small, worn rug and a small four-poster bed with a trunk at its foot. I tossed my backpack onto the bed and moved across the empty room toward one of the windows to see if there was any kind of view. It was then that I heard a noise that made my skin prickle and feel hot from a rush of adrenaline. Have you ever been in a theatre after the lights go down and the play is about to start? Can you remember that noise of dozens of people whispering all around you and being unable to understand what they're saying? Well, that's what I heard. Suddenly, all around me, I could hear whispering voices. I ran out of the room as quickly as I could and joined my family in the hallway so that we could have dinner on the semi-basement of the tavern, which was a restaurant built into the side of the hill. I didn't mention my experience thinking I'd imagined it, but when we walked into the basement-level restaurant, I saw that the walls were covered in old newspaper and magazine clippings about how the tavern was haunted. As I said, I had no idea of the Jean Bonnet's reputation, but years later, after recounting the story, I searched the internet to see if the place had a website. Eventually I found it, and a quick look at the folklore page of their site made me think that my experience may have been more than my mere imagination. Tales of spirits and inanimate objects moving seemingly by themselves are not uncommon at the tavern. It may not seem like much, but the experience made such an impression on me that it caused me to believe that ghosts, whatever they are, are real. My second story took place years later, when I was in my late twenties and living in Seattle, Washington, in a big five-bedroom, craftsman-style house with some close friends. The house was located in the Wallingford neighbourhood of Seattle, and was probably built sometime in the early part of the 20th century. Again, not terribly old for most countries, but old for the US, particularly the West Coast. My bedroom was upstairs and at the farthest end of a long hallway, with the door facing the hallway straight on. The city neighbourhood was well lit by street lamps, so much so that there was often too much light in the house at night and it made it hard for me to sleep. One night my girlfriend, who is now my wife, was sleeping over, but none of my other roommates were home. We awoke in the middle of the night to hear the front door slamming closed, followed by heavy footsteps climbing the stairs to the second floor. The footsteps slowly approached the door to my bedroom and then stopped. Slowly, very slowly, the door swung open. We stared, too scared to breathe. As I said, the interior of the house was always lit by exterior light, even in the middle of the night. But when the door swung open, the darkness in the hallway was complete. It was darker than dark so dark that we couldn't see anything at all. Hello, I said meekly, staring wide-eyed into the dark. The door stayed open for a few seconds more and then slowly closed, seemingly without anyone putting a hand on it, at least nobody that we could see. We didn't hear any more footsteps. Then a few seconds later, 
we heard the heavy front door squeak open and loudly close. I'd think it was one of my roommates or our friends, but for the absolute darkness in the hallway. I'd never seen it dark like that, and I haven't since. Over the next few days, we asked everyone whether it had been them that had opened my door in the middle of the night. But either it wasn't anyone we knew, or it wasn't anyone at all. I always locked my door after that. Those are the two experiences in my life that, while they can be explained away by normal causes, felt different and strange. As I said, it's these experiences that made me believe in ghosts. I would not be able for this front door going big heavy footsteps up the stairs walking down the hall to my room and then the door slowly opening oh the tension oh i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to cope with the tension that that would bring i'm pretty sure you would get up and walk down and see who it was i probably would yeah i'd be like <laughs> oh my god why have you woke me up you're so annoying yep and i would probably not follow you <laughs> I I really enjoyed that description in the first story. Yes, the whispers. Such a good description. That is exactly what I'd imagine it would be like. Because that's such a distinctive yeah. sound when you're in a theatre and everybody's chatting and they're like rustling and whatever and then the lights go down and everybody just hushes. Mm. But everybody's still finishing their conversation. Yeah. It's such a, that was and such a great... It it's a great description. Great description. I've underlined whispers in my notes because oh. I wanted to talk about it but you beat me to it. So yes, I agree with you. Um, that pub or tavern... Uh, sounds sensational and we need to go. I desperately want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm here for going to that pub. Because I don't know many buildings in the US. I know Pennsylvania has got a lot of old buildings for US standards, but I don't know many that old that I know of. Yeah, we should definitely, when we eventually do our US trip and we have a little jaunt around, we need to make a list of places that we need to go to. And it's going to look like Seattle. Pennsylvania, <laughs> Texas, boom, boom, boom. It will just be all over the place with no order. No. Nope. No yep. logical nope. drawing out of a plan. I think we might, it might even end up being cheaper flying in and out, actually, to be honest, if you can yeah. come back to the UK than going somewhere else. I don't know. But yeah, definitely we need to check that place out. And I also really want to go to Savannah. Yes. Just keep getting stories about Savannah. Most definitely. And I want to go to that big haunted cemetery during the day. If you enjoyed today's episode... Go to our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com, where you can find all of the information that you need about us, links to our social medias, the email address to send your stories to. Merch. I would... Merchandise, yes. Don't forget to donate to Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Bye. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.